seeking collaborations with influential people, at GZPR, we create passion-fueled collaborations that go beyond traditional representation, a performance agency that onboards new clients every month. Our focus is on POC collaborations. Contact us now at hellogzpr.com, a self-aware public relations agency exploring world perspectives with leading talents. Hello and welcome. My name is Tiffany Farag and welcome to Get to Know You, a podcast for those who want to open conversations and access deeper dialogue, where conversations can become stronger when we explore our thinking and behavior. Every Tuesday, a new question will be asked to a guest speaker. Genuine people here to have insightful conversations. My guest speaker today is a Polish-born entrepreneur and executive focused on online business and renewable energy, passionate about frontier and emerging markets. He co-founded sunroof.se, a two-in-one solar roofs producer, hotelonline.co, a travel technology company, and Jumaya Travel, Africa's biggest hotel booking portal listed on NYSE as part of Jumaya's group. In 2014, he was chosen as one of the 10 most important people in tech by IT News Africa magazine. He is a lead mentor at Google's Launchpad and World Bank's Excel Africa program. Marek is a a best-selling author of Chasing Black Unicorns, a former snowboard instructor and a bartender, but his real-life goal is simply to leave this world in a slightly better shape than what it was when he arrived. Welcoming Marek Zimblowski to get to know you. Welcome, Marek. Hi there. Thank you so much for the introduction. I hope I will match the expectations after such a great intro. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well deserved. I think it'd be lovely for the listeners to hear more about your book, Chasing Black Unicorns, and uh, how, it, how that book uh, came about. Yeah. So the long story short is that I've spent last 10 years on the African continent mainly focused on uh, running, building different type of online businesses, which which is very unusual. Well, first of all, it's not unusual for someone from Europe just to go and, and spend 10 years in Africa and then to, to do it in such a unique sector, which is online business. And uh, and many people have been telling me to write a book about it because it's a very specific type of experience that you have. But that that alone would be a pretty boring business book only for a few people. Um, the other part, the other side of African business adventures is that sometimes you have to deal with corruption, criminals, and so on. Unfortunately, this is not typical for Africa. It's typical for every emerging economy, every mm-hmm. frontier market, whether Latin America. Uh, or Eastern Europe or, or Southeast Asia, right? Uh, in my personal case, I actually landed on an Interpol Most Wanted list because that's where my business partners brought me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I can elaborate on that. And that also is a, is a, is a almost a sensational slash criminal story in itself, which made my boring software building adventures more interesting. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and I decided to put it in, into in the form of a book because on one side I there was this piece of insights I wanted to share with business from a business perspective. Obviously I always wanted to write the book. I just didn't know it's gonna happen that fast. But then you had the whole crazy Interpol case which took three years, hopefully, thankfully ended with a happy end, which is mm-hmm. why I'm able to talk to you now and, and, and write the book. Uh, and, and and wrote a book and talk and talk and talk about it. 
and that that's how it all all, all came about. And I'm and I'm basically putting this into into perspective. Um, I wanted to have a book which is partially uh, an interesting biography, hopefully, but but most importantly, uh, a business book. And I was always impressed by comedians, which for me are the most intelligent people creatures in the world. And they have this genius way of passing interesting insights for you, sometimes uneasy truth, by mm. making you laugh first because they open up your mind. And when they have your attention, they give you some deep truths or anything else they want to communicate. And that was my intention. Use my personal story, which has been in many cases very funny or, or very scary, uh, in order to entertain the reader but then in between also pass some uh, business insights uh that was the, the the real concept behind the book that's fantastic i really like that so there's a lot of aspects to it you've got some you know funny you're you're writing in a way of telling a story which is great as well as well as giving business insight i think when you're giving business insight as well it could be boring and people like kind of drift away but when it's bringing it into a story mm-hmm. kind of format i think that's what really captures the reader and i think that's what's catch- captured me as i've started reading your book um when i'm like oh i'm quite engaged and you're also giving out quite some some really key insights could you mention some of those insights to us some of those business insights that you have found through your um through your experience as an entrepreneur yeah well the 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 most exciting business part of my story is that we started something where it was supposed to be an and really a website where people could buy stuff online or book a hotel or order food online and it ended up being the biggest e-commerce group in africa and and uh, went i did an ipo on new york stock exchange a year ago um, and, and that story itself is, I mean, the amount of adventures we had, for example, lessons which now seem to be so obvious, like just because you're an online business doesn't mean you're going to also promote your business online and find your users online. Um, I remember back in 2012, we thought we're just going to spend money on Google and we're going to get users from, from mm. Google and clients and how, how fast we have realized that. There's only so many users you can find on Google back in the day in Nigeria, for example, or Ghana, on Kenya. And if you really want to grow faster, um, you have to go offline. You have to educate the users to start using the internet first and only then uh, book your services. Um, Even today, uh, or maybe not today, but that's information from uh, six months ago, uh, Google, which is the biggest tech company in the world, is still buying tv ads in nigeria and promoting google search Mm. in tv um, which tells you a lot about um where where the market is in terms of education and 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 also depth of potential and and that we're just scratching the surface um yeah that's for example out of one out of many one of the many that's fantastic and i didn't know that i'm sure a lot of people don't know that as well so like how does it take like for someone like yourself to research or to know this kind of knowledge is it something that you can find online or how are you seeking this information i was just uh, uh, learning by mistakes um me even going to nigeria because that's where i moved in 2012 wasn't even part of my genius plan that really turned out very well for me but Mm. this wasn't my plan i was just hired by an investment fund and at that stage they were doing a proper research of nigeria because they felt like you know if 
if we believe in capitalism and democracy, then at some point, obviously after many, many years and problems, um, the world will become pretty unified in terms of customer behaviors, right? Because the globalization and the, the cultures expands and we, we become similar in a way, which has its bad sides as well. But from a business perspective, you can you can bring business models from one country to another, obviously still respecting the, the peculiarities of certain culture. But in general, if people like to buy stuff online and it's becoming so popular in the Europe, so-called mm. first world states, at some point it will also become uh, popular in Africa for that matter. Of course, as soon as you fix infrastructure problems and logistics and so on and internet connection and, and people being able to afford and so on and so on. Um, so that was just a, a plan of an investment fund, betting on capitalism, really. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, what what started for me as a couple months of a research project, I was actually sent to figure it out. Like, are there hotels? Are there enough hotels in Lagos in Nigeria, a 20 million people city, um, to be able to pay as a commission if we find them a clients online? Mm. And I couldn't just go and search those hotels on Google Maps because they were not using internet in the first place. They didn't know what Google is. So yeah. uh, the research about hotels was really entering a taxi and paying the guy mm. for a whole day of riding and, and telling the taxi driver to take me to any hotel this guy know. Obviously, the taxi drivers being the best source of data. And, and that's really how we've built the database of hotels in 2012 in Lagos in Nigeria by... Mm driving with hundreds of taxi drivers wow and and i remember uh, reading some consultancy company research i think that was one of the big four i don't want to mention the name <laughs> yeah uh, that's all right and i think they said there was like four thousand hotels in nigeria back then and and after a couple of months we have found four thousand hotels just in lagos just in mm. one city Mm -hmm. um, obviously the definition of a hotel in Nigeria might be slightly different than the definition of a hotel in New York that still doesn't change the fact that people need them people search for them and people pay for them yeah I think it's fantastic just hearing that you actually like okay I can't just google this information that I want to find I have to go to the country get in a taxi take him making me take him from one place to another that's incredible and a lot of people don't do that kind of roll up their sleeves and do that hard work and actually go to the ground and try and find something they always seek to find yeah. it online so that's pretty incredible which for me wasn't that unusual in the first place because I come from Poland and I started my first online business in the early 2000s and and when I was actually, that's another funny story. There's a, there's a chapter about that. I was building a marketplace for funeral services in Poland. Oh, wow. uh, and and this is also, well, first of all, Poland was still in the, in the early 2000s, you know, economically being developed and technologically developed, uh, way, way better developed than Nigeria, obviously. But the funeral sector in itself was very backward because of the age of the average funeral home owner. Mm. And I would go in 2009 to a funeral home and I would say that we are promoting your services online and I'm going to bring you clients thanks to Google, for example. And the guy asks me, what is Google mm. uh, in Poland in 2009? So it wasn't that unusual for me when I went to Nigeria in 2012 and a hotel manager asks me, what, what, is, what is the internet? And, and I, when I ask them, do you have Wi-Fi? They ask, what is Wi-Fi? Um, it wasn't that unusual for me because of my experience back in the day from Poland. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
That's incredible. And um, just off a little bit slightly taking this on another kind of spin, um, you were wrongly obviously accused and put on this Interpol's most wanted list. What does it feel like to be wrongly accused by, you know, major people or government people or it's not just like, you know, your next door neighbour, it's something quite major and you're wrongly accused of it. How does that feel and and what was that kind of, what mindset were you in? Uh, Well, there are a couple of angles to this story. Uh, but let me focus on the emotions first. Um, uh, that night when I found out what's happening and, and I realized that the scheme that is happening around me, because essentially the, the purpose was not to put me to jail. The purpose was to take the company and force me to sign papers to give the company for basically nothing. Obviously, if I don't do it, they will keep me in jail for as long as they want to. Yeah, They will show me things or do things to me until I break down and obviously i was ready to be broken down the first hour they would put me there I mean, nothing is more precious than uh, than human life and my freedom right um but that one that first night i spent in polish jail because i was waiting for an extradition to nigeria uh i went through four stages of grief in one night uh from from not believing to what's happening to me uh, thinking that this is some kind of a hidden camera show. I'm going to be in a TV show. Mm-hmm. And someone's just going to come in with cameras saying, we got you. To uh, absolute rage and, and just shouting and and swearing to myself and to God that, uh, by, by the way, that was the first time I remember, reminded myself about the concept of God because that's mm. where you need God. <laughs> yeah. I swear I'm going to kill everyone that did this to me. I'm going to suffocate them. And I was just imagining how I will re- take my revenge to absolute depression and just that feeling of you just have no control over your life yeah. anymore. And you kind of give up and, and almost suicidal thoughts in that moment to, um, slowly regaining some sort of control over your body as soon as all the emotions came out of you and you just became so physically tired with all those crying and and panic attacks and and breathing problems and i was trying to you know run around in circles in the cell i was making push-ups i was trying to meditate i was trying to pray well the moment you just became so physically tired you released all those emotions that's when the constructive thinking starts that's where you have finally time to focus okay what's next what is the worst possible thing that can happen to me? What is the best possible thing that can happen to me? And what are the scenarios in between? And so you were jailed, sorry. It all happened in that night. In the, that in the night, jail. in jail, okay. In mm. jail, yes. I couldn't, you know, I didn't sleep at all. Like maybe a mm. minute just before the sunrise. And I was playing all those scenarios like, okay, this is what can happen. Maybe my lawyer will come. Maybe I'll be able to make a phone call. Maybe someone will help me. What happens if I'm transported directly to Nigeria? What happens if I'm transported somewhere else? What are my options? And it took for a couple of hours. And the moment you realize, okay, I've been playing all possible scenarios in my head. I am ready to what's going to happen because I've already played it in my head. That's when you regain some kind of a peace. Okay, that's all I can do right now. Now let's wait for that 7 a.m. morning call because I know knew someone's going to come, maybe bring me some tea or, or a sandwich. And I will probably get some news about me. And, and, and I was ready. I was peaceful by then. So that was, that was also a, a great lesson in itself, that, that night in jail, life-changing. Life because for someone that has never done anything, I mean, the worst thing that 
the worst interaction with any some any sort of justice for me was that I got a speed ticket, right? Mm. That that's all I ever that that was my you know interaction with any sort of justice. That was that was a big and I was a I was a software guy. I was an online business guy. So there's always a limit to how many interactions we have with the physical world. It would be different if I had running if I'd been running some you know some sort of physical business like a casino or a hotel. Yeah. You're much more exposed to things like this. Not when you're just building websites. Um, so yeah, that was that was that was that was a big emotion. That's because you asked about how I felt. Um, so I wanted to yeah. focus my answer on the on the emotional part. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And what was it like? Like, obviously, are you are you in a hotel room or you're in your apartment, and then you have police officers knocking on your door and about to arrest you, and you have no reason, you have no idea why. Um, so this thing happened actually in at the airport. Ah, so okay. w- without giving too much details out of the book, I was actually flying from one country to another because I was on a business trip, and I've changed my plans last minute. Uh, which many, many, many times, you know, people accuse me that I knew about this and this is why I left the country, which, which mm. wasn't true. I changed my plans last minute because I was living in Nigeria and I was supposed to spend Christmas in Nigeria. And my girlfriend was planning to come to Nigeria to see me. So imagine what would have happened if my girlfriend was, if the police came to actually to our house in Nigeria and they would take me because there was police in my house and there was police in my office and they raided mm. the house and office, but they didn't know that we have changed our plans last minute. And we decided that, we will, instead of spending Christmas in Nigeria, I would first go to her to see her family because I would, that was the first time I met her family for Christmas 2000. I mean, I was 18 I, or 17. I don't remember now. And then we would go uh, for New Year's Eve to my Polish family and, and she would meet her, my family for the first time. So that was a very important part time for us. And it, yeah. it was because of her that we, cha- we changed my plans last minute. So in a way, my girlfriend saved me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was at the airport and uh, I'm, I gave my passport to be checked. Um, and uh, my, they always take more time to check my passport because when you travel in Africa, the stamps they use are so huge yeah. that you run out of passport pages so fast. And I would get my new passport from a Polish embassy in Nigeria, which is always, it's always raises eyebrows because like, mm, you know, Nigeria doesn't have the best PR, unfortunately. And, and and I thought that I'm just going to wait, you know, until they double check that my passport is valid. But then not this time. Two guys came and they said, you're going with us because there's uh, there's something in the system about you and which we have to uh, double check. And that's how I realized that uh, the plan was, well, I've realized a little bit later once I collected all the dots, connected all the dots, is that the plan was to just visit me in between Christmas and New Year's Eve. So the time where people stay at home, that's the highest chance of me being at home. And when they found out that I am not there, that's where they quickly uh, put the arrest warrant into the global system. And we can talk about Interpol and why is it so easy to just, you know, issue a fake arrest warrant and and bring me from Europe to to Nigeria. I can can talk about that in a second. And, And that arrest warrant was being put while just a couple of days before me traveling. Um, and the first time I was leaving the Schengen zone, so that European zone where you have to finally show your passport, that's when I realized that the, the system, the, the arrest warrant is there and waiting for me in the system. 
Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was the that was the airport adventure when they wow they, they handcuffed me and they they walked me through the airport like a like a proper criminal. The, oh, the, the look in the people's eyes was was also something different. Like <laughs> I don't I don't recommend it to anyone. No, of course. Wow, what a what a journey there. What an experience. Incredible. I'm glad that you were able to um clear your name. I think that's the biggest thing. You were able to clear your own name and that um and you took the Nigerian government to court. Yeah, I had to. And <laughs> and I'm the first foreigner apparently and hopefully the last in the history of Nigeria justice system to to take Nigerian police to court basically for filing an illegal and fake arrest warrant. The reasons behind it are pretty clear. Someone paid them to do that. Um, let me quickly, um, and then I, I won that case in yeah. Nigeria federal court. So it also shows that, yeah, there are bad apples. Police, Nigerian police is a very corrupt institution when you look at the uh, statistics. Um, Nigeria is un- unfortunately one of the most corrupt countries in the world when you look at the statistics. But what's worse is that when you look at statistics of the corruption in Nigeria, police as an organization is the most corrupt institution. Mm. Uh, That's the problem. Uh, But let's quickly zoom out. The whole thing is that we have Interpol, which is a global organization to connect police organizations all over the world. Yes. Uh, And Interpol has similar problems to Facebook or YouTube. Let me, Mm. bear with me. On the outside, it's a very noble institution with a very noble goal to connect organizations, to allow them to send exchange information to work better because you don't want to have a criminal doing something very bad in one country and then just flying to another one because he has all the money in the world. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Pablo Escobar, for example. Uh, The problem is the scale. They don't know how to handle the scale. Just like with Facebook and YouTube, right? It's literally impossible to manually by a human, verify every piece of information that is being posted or or any video that is uploaded. Yes. So imagine someone has posted something, some video about you on YouTube, right? Let's say your private video. They have no right to do it. Maybe it exposes your intimate life or something that they have absolutely no right to because you had the image rights and so on and so on. Uh, good luck going to YouTube and appealing, right? Because they don't mm. want to take it down. No. You know, it's, it's going to take you months, if not years, and lawyers to even try to win that case and, and force Google to do something. Otherwise, you just add the, what's the word? Add the, add the you can only count on some machine learning that will take it yes. down for you. If yes. there are 100,000 people that will also report abuse. Facebook has the same, uh, sorry, Interpol has the same problems as, as YouTube or uh, or Facebook, because there are hundreds of thousands of arrest warrants being posted annually and, and circulated. They have no machine learning. You can apply it. Every arrest warrant should be really checked by lawyers because you might think that an arrest warrant from Switzerland might have a different weight than an mm. arrest warrant from Nigeria, Turkey, China, or Iraq, right? I mean, let's talk about political systems and so on and so on if we have to. Uh, every country which has the problem with abuse of power, whether this is a political power or business power, has a higher chance of certain laws or arrest warrants for that matter. So enforcement of the law might be illegal, but no one checks this. And if someone has bought an arrest warrant, essentially, because all you have to do is bribe a policeman that goes to his police stations, 
signs that signs it, scans it, and puts it into the system. It's as almost as easy as posting a photo on Facebook for a police person. Mm. Then good luck taking it down because all you can do now is to appeal to uh, Interpol headquarters in France. They check those appeals only three times per year, and there's a line. Uh, And there's a chance that if you appeal today, they will only analyze this case next year. Mm. I mean, now it's December, so even it can be the day, the the year after. Yeah. And throughout all those months of you waiting, you are already in the system. You can't travel because you'll be arrested. Your bank's account can be closed because you're now officially a wanted person globally. Unfortunately, the abuse is almost designed at destroying your life because while you are waiting to even prove your innocence, um, it's as if you're already convicted because because you can't do anything. In my case, I wouldn't be able to travel and I would be even extradited to Nigeria. Yeah. Um, So... Uh, this is this has become a beautiful way to really force people to do what you want them to do. If you know someone that will just sign this piece of paper and scans it and uploads this on the platform for you. Mm. And with 160 or more member countries of Interpol and thousands of police stations in every of this country that have access to do that, I mean, there's a high, there's a high chance you're going to find someone that will do it for you if you pay them. Mm. Um, and and uh, this happens a lot, unfortunately, in countries like I don't want to mention the name because I don't want to piss off anyone in any country. No, but no. It happens. Uh, it happens <laughs> sure. a lot in, in in countries where there's a lot of corruption, and it happened to me because my business partner was a powerful person, and and at some point, uh, something that started as a and you're gonna read this as a book. I take responsibility for in a way starting the conflict because I was this cocky CEO that didn't mince my words and I had the tendency to piss off some people, I take the responsibility for that, not the blame, the responsibility of for pissing off some people. But then some people feel they're so powerful and they have no breaks from essentially breaking the law to teach me a lesson, you know, because they just, it's like, you know, if you have a boxing match, you know what the rules are, right? It's still a sport, Uh, but there are some people who just don't care and they will take out the gun and shoot you because they just, they don't want. They don't care about the rules anymore. No. Um, so I take responsibility for throwing the first punches in the game called business uh, by being a cocky CEO and wanting to run the company the way I wanted to run it. But everything was absolutely legal. Legal. But exactly. then, then he decided to teach me a lesson in a in a in a illegal way, and that's where mm-hmm. the line was crossed. Absolutely. I take the blame. Sorry, I take the responsibility for the for the harsh business competition yeah, between between two uh, two business people right but breaking the loan to basically take over someone's company is a another level. well take off someone's life as well <laughs> really that's what was done to you so yeah i'm glad you got out yeah. of that and that the whole uh thing had a good ending in the end and it's in the past and that you're moving forward and you're doing these great things with with your book and uh, your foundation which is incredible the maya foundation where you where you uh mentioned to me earlier which is fantastic do you want to talk us a little bit about that and, and share a little bit about your foundation and, and how people sure can support? Sure. The, the charity is another thing which I've done way earlier than I expected. Because um, I, when the whole thing broke, the whole drama broke about my case and the book came out, uh, uh, many people accused me of basically making money out of talking about my drama 
Mm. And and in the process, talking, forgive me for the lack of a better word, talking shit about Nigeria, uh, which is absolutely untrue because if you realize, if you take your time to, to watch the videos that I'm making, the, the TED Talks that I'm doing, the books that I'm writing, you will realize that I'm using this really only singular example of something that bad that has happened to me that gives me the legitimacy to talk about the realities. But for every bad example, I'm giving you 10 great examples. And the, 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 the net result is always positive. But you have to want to take the time to, to really understand uh, what, what I'm talking about. Because, you know, information is just like food. You shouldn't uh, consume it processed. You should, you should get to the, to the raw version of it. The, exactly. The research. Do your research. Read more. Don't just take something for face value. Yeah. And... So I wanted to make a statement like this is not for the money itself. I have other sources of income. I have my business and so on. The book is just because I want to share my story and because I think it's, it's, it's valuable in a way. And obviously on some personal level, I always wanted to write the book and I, and I did it. So then I wanted to make a statement. Let me show that all the money from the book, from the sales of the book, as well as all the speaking engagement, which are paid that I'm getting, uh, are going into a charity. And, and I wanted to find a charity that I would just send the money to. And when I, and I approached the charity search the way I was approaching business search as an investor. Show me your PL, how you're spending your money, what the money goes to, what is the long-term result of your actions, and so on and so on. And oh my God, that was a Pandora box that I opened. Mm. <laughs> I never knew how broken the charity model is, um, especially in Africa, uh, which has a history of really aid that doesn't help at all and if anything it, it makes the case even worse without getting too much into detail charities a huge charity organization are amazing when it comes to helping a city survive after an earthquake right or, or helping uh, displaced uh, refugees because of a war i'm talking about huge scale one-time help but when it comes to a systemic problem Charities are not working or they haven't proven it themselves mm -hmm. yet. And one of the reasons for me is that they're too big. They're too detached for the problems. They're too dependent on the short-term donations. And so they have to focus on short-term uh, goals and so on and so on. So I figured, well, there's only so much money I can send because it's just books plus my savings plus some income. But maybe instead of searching this one organization that solves all the problems, maybe we just need more small organizations where people do it with their own hands, what they want to do. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's the approach. And if not, well, at least I've done something. Yeah. Yeah. And and essentially, I've opened my own foundation. We have chosen a school, an orphanage school in 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 Maiduguri, in Nigeria. A school is a big word because they didn't have a building, and the kids were sitting on the on the on the, on the what's the word on the earth on the yeah yeah on the ground on the ground there was not even a floor there were no walls there were no nothing mm. so we built a building we've put a water tank we've built toilets now we're now we're building furniture everything is built locally because again if you're sending goods from europe you're just killing local business and so on and so on so and then we're gonna do scholarships so some cool things are happening which again also make you feel good on a personal level but it all started with me wanting to make a point that this book wasn't for the money itself and and my goal is not really to promote the foundation itself because i believe that if you're promoting problems you're also like i said if you promote problems too much this is why when people say africa they think 
kids with big bellies. There was too much promotion of problems, not enough promotions of opportunities in business and so on. And when you yes. when you realize my the content I'm putting out, it's it's trying to find regain that balance. And uh, yeah, this is why the foundation came about. And my my goal is really not to get man, more money for the foundation. My goal is to inspire people to maybe do something on their own. Uh, we need more small initiatives instead of one huge one. That's fantastic. I love that. That's an incredible journey and incredible thing that you're doing there. And and I love that the that you're putting a lot of the your money from the book into the school and helping you said young girls, we we're talking about earlier, young girls to like go through it at their education and how make them become financially independent. So that's fantastic and, and incredible. And you really don't hear about that often. And now, um, listeners, the question that we'll be diving into today. Uh, with Mark is uh, how do your childhood events subconsciously influence your decision as an adult? Now you actually mentioned this question to me and with this question, what were some things that first came to your mind? I know you talk about this uh, initially in in the book as well, which is incredible because a lot of people wouldn't think so. Um, How have your childhood events um, subconsciously influenced your decisions as an adult? And like if for the general people, how do you see that? How does, do you think that happens? Oh my God! It influences everything. It's a it's a topic for a book, if not an encyclopedia in itself. And I've realized that when I was writing the book, because I was looking at all the things that have happened to me, mm. and I felt like I want to take responsibility for the things that have happened to me, not the blame responsibility, because there's always part of your responsibility for for starting a certain chain of events. And I like the concept of taking responsibility because even if it's not always the case, if I have to choose between lying to myself that everything is my fault or nothing is my fault, I prefer to lie to myself that everything is my fault Mm. because I give myself the power to change something. Because if nothing is my fault, then I can't do anything. Yeah, And if I take the responsibility for everything that has happened to me, even in some cases, even if in some cases it's not the case and I won't be able to change this, there will be other cases where I actually can change something and I have the right approach. And and when I was trying to analyze everything that has happened to me, it's great. The biggest lesson of this book was for myself. (laughs) Me writing the book was the biggest lesson. I think I could get more. I got more out of this book by just by writing it than, than any reader, which is yeah, egoistic in, itself in a way. Yeah, but no. it's so powerful for me. It was like a psychotherapy um, in itself. And then you realize why, why have I done this? Um, why have I made such a decision to take this trip to Africa? Why have I become such an aggressive CEO anyway? Aggressive, for example. I, I, I didn't mind telling my investor that he doesn't know what he's talking about and he's an Mm. idiot right Mm -hmm. in an official meeting because i was that cocky because at some point in my life i thought i have it all yeah i have all the success all the money i thought i thought that this is the pinnacle now i know that it was like nothing i was just like i was no one but obviously you had this this everyone has this phase in their life (laughs) and hopefully then you become humble uh, after that so i i was digging in and digging in and digging in and then you realize that everything starts in, in that very fragile and important uh, stage of your life when everything is being shaped in your head and your personality is being shaped. Obviously, you're given the genes, but then you have the environment that is shaping you. Uh, and, and I was this 
typical, without giving too much out of the book, I was a typical bullied kid. I was obese in high school, in primary school. Kids were laughing at me. Girls were laughing at me uh, and stuff like this. And and then you realize that what you're building is that self-consciousness. Uh, you know what I mean? Self, um, that feeling of, okay, what is everyone thinking about me? The only yeah. way for me to validate myself is by external sources of that validation. And, and this is an extremely powerful tool in business. Many people are motivated by their ego. And mm. I guess without the proper, without an ego, you can't really, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to say that you can't do it without an ego, but when you look at the history, many beautiful things, many beautiful businesses and many good things were built by people with egos. Mm. Uh, but ego in itself is a double-edged sword. It can be as constructive as it can be destructive. Sure. And, and, and being... Having the need of external validation is never ending story uh, and has its downsides as well. And as powerful as it is in business that drives you and you become successful and you make more and more money, it can absolutely destroy you in personal life. I'm talking about addictions, drugs, parties, cheating, and everything bad that can happen in, in your lifestyle. And there is a moment when the personal life problems are so big, they will affect your business. Mm-hmm. And then it's a then it's just a down 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 downfall, and um, I did that mental exercise of of going back in time and trying to understand what happened to me back then, how it affected me later, and that was a very op- eye opening lesson because it's different when you go to a therapy and someone tells you something. It's different when you re- read books. It's probably even different when you go for an ayahuasca retreat or whatever psychedelics <laughs> you want to take to understand yourself. Yeah. But when you just do like a proper deduction of, of logical cause and relation thing and you go back in time, this is a value in itself. It cannot replace probably psychotherapy. It cannot replace some ayahuasca. <laughs> but it's a very, very important milestone. And it was a very important milestone for me to understand myself and essentially become a more balanced person, more happy. And also in business now, I think I, I you know, more, more happy than ever. Uh, I don't want to use the word successful, but it also helped me push my, my business to, to, to places I, I've, I was never able to do it, where I was this, this guy motivated by ego in itself only. Yeah. So would you say then that on on going through this journey, writing this book, and you're saying it's like a therapy. And obviously, when things are in your subconscious, you're unaware of the decisions that are being made um, and why you're making them until you sit with them and then you kind of bring these things into your conscious, into your awareness. Oh, wait, you know, I'm taking this action based on something that happened 20 years ago when I was five years old and this and this happened or this and this didn't happen. And when you were going through that journey, what were some, do you remember some key things that really stood out or like a moment or, a, a, you know, something that happened that stood out to you as to why maybe you made the decision to move to Africa? Huh. Very good point. Whether this was a milestone, you know, um, from hindsight, Oh, that's a milestone in itself when I realized it. <laughs> Everything makes sense for, when you look at it from hindsight because mm. you're able to see many things. That's right. Yeah. And then you choose the ones that you see a logical implication between them, which yeah. doesn't mean it was the case. It just looks like it right now. Oh, from looking back. Yeah, exactly. From looking back. You can see a path. For, yeah, for me, it was just, I remember this realization when I was this, this young 
this kid being raised and born in a very small Polish town it was like 100,000 people, if not less back then. And then I was remember, remember reading some research that it was scary. It was like 60% of people live and die 100 kilometers away from the place where you were, they were born. Wow. Uh, and on one side, it's understandable. Like you always have a special connection to the place you were raised. But it's not only the case. I think many times people do that because they didn't have the chance, they didn't have the money, they didn't have the ambition, they didn't have the courage to actually do something else. Yes. So I think there's, it's not that easy. And I was like, I don't want to be that guy. I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be only a, a result of my direct environment. And it was so visible for me because many, many, my family members moved out to Germany and my mother was one of the few cousins who stayed in Poland. And I was a kid in the late eighties, early nineties. So it was just after communism and my cousins were sending me like boxes with sweets and toys because you didn't have that in Poland. Um, and I had that direct paradox of me sitting here in this post-communist, very poor country. And my, my friends, they live 300 kilometers away from me only. And they just are living on a different planet. Mm. And I was like, why is that, that just because of where I was born, it really dictates my life. And it really went to a, even a fear. Like I wanted, everything that I want to do is I want to have all the options always open, yeah. which was a problem in itself. Because then at some point you just can't make a decision because you're always afraid of the cost of lost opportunities. So it can be a paranoia if you go if you take it too far. But for me, it was always like I want to have all the options open. We can't do intergalactic travel. There's no other civilization which we know of officially, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or can travel to. So let me at least be able to have the earth as my plan, as my yes. options open. Yeah. That was my that was always what was driving me. So this is why I went into online business, because I thought that if I'm running an online business i can do it from anywhere in the world mm. which is only partially true because any business at some point becomes an organization with people and so on if you want to grow it and then you become tied to a place unless you just want to do some very you know, small things here and there and try to automate everything this is of course doable but not for everyone not everywhere um so yeah that realization was super important for me that i was i was this kid that realized this conflict this, these two worlds, what I see in front of my eyes and were uh, in, from my window of my room, living in this huge apartment of post communist in a post communist block, and my friends from my family living four hours away, three hours drive. There's, the only difference is that there's a there's a border, and I have to yeah. show my passport <laughs> that I don't even can I cannot even get that easily. You know? mm. And that was being raised in that environment of two extremes because i had family on those two sides of the wall uh really shaped me as well that, that was very that was very symptomatic yeah no understandable as i said and it would shape you and it's a great point that you point out there like we all you know a, a lot of us are our experiences or lives or our vision of, of what life could be like or a certain lifestyle is built on where we were born and where we we're from and, and where and if we stay in that place we don't see other opportunities or possibilities or ways of living that we could have or could achieve so it's like i like that you kind of had that as like 
in the forefront of your mind as a mission to kind of, hey, I'm going to, I'm not going to allow myself to be stuck or limit my opportunities. So that's, I think that's what you did for yourself. You gave yourself so much more opportunities. You're able to see parts of the world. You're able to live in many places that you wouldn't have otherwise had you not uh, had that kind of, uh, I think you had, to me, it sounds like you had a real clear vision as to where you wanted to go, as to how you are where you are right now. I think I did, yeah. Uh, and whether the vision is correct or not, it's secondary because you can always correct the vision in itself as you go. The whole point of having a plan is to have a plan. and It doesn't matter if the plan is okay is okay because if you have a plan and you know how to react to the plan you can always make adjustment as you go uh, yeah in my journey my vision was bad in so many ways and i had to adjust it but because it was so clear and i knew where I'm, i knew i wanted this at least i had the action i had the motivation to make the changes um and and, and i don't know grab opportunities see them send that email uh, send that cv uh say it's screw it let's do it and, and and i think the net result for me was is okay yeah yeah no that's fantastic how would you say for other people if they have you know when people want to try and understand why they make certain decisions as an adult based on this question and they're trying to you know it's very easy for maybe somebody else to point out what you're doing or what you're doing maybe subconsciously because they can see it from a third person kind of looking in on your own life. But how would it, how would you say or recommend or advise someone to kind of do that with themselves and to kind of see what decisions they're making now and to look back on, well, where does this decision come from? Or how is it, how have I been influenced to make this decision? And is this the correct decision for me? Oh, well, I can only tell you what worked for me very well. Um, I've never written a diary, but writing the book was like making up for the time lost because I did never wrote a diary. Because mm. if you had the diary, being written, writing it every day, every week, doesn't matter regularly. You see, it's like being able to read your minds back then. Um, just going back in time, you have your own brain right now that is already shaped by their emotions and experiences and so on and so on. But if you do that mental exercise in any way to go back to what happened and what you did back then, you might start seeing some implications. You might start seeing some cause and reality. I guess I would just start by this mental exercise by taking the time to think, <laughs> uh, which is so hard lately, right? Just, just, just think, just sit with yourself. Yeah, yeah just book, book a time in the calendar to be with yourself. I do this to I do this very often just to realize whether whatever I'm busy now with is actually pushing me in where I want to go. Like are those projects that I'm so busy now actually are pushing me in the direction I want to go? And then many times I'm like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore because for some reason I continue doing this because I did it just mm. by inertia. But this is not taking me anywhere and I shut it down. How do you come to uh, that? That's I think that's a very good uh, habit or something that you know how to do that a lot of people don't do. They don't shut it down. They continue doing it for another few years or forever. Well, you need to know a plan for the next couple of years in order to decide whether a plan for the next couple of days makes sense. <laughs> and you know what? Um, this is the most powerful thing for me because once you're already at a certain stage in business, in your network, there's a certain moment when you switch from being the person that always pitches everything to everyone to being the person that is being pitched to. 
and you're mm. getting more opportunities than you actually want. And this is very tricky because if you want to keep growing, you still have to look at people which are ahead of you. You have to keep looking up in order to grow. Because if you start just looking at everyone that pitches to you, you will stop growing because you will just start responding to everything that is happening to you. And if you don't know where you want to be in 10 years from now, you don't know what, which opportunities to choose. And, and I, when I started saying that this is a great opportunity that you're sending me, but I won't be involved in it because I don't see doing this with you. I don't see the goal of doing this aligned with my goals for the next couple of years. The case is closed. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you can't, you can't argue with that. No. Um, and that really allowed me to know when to say no. Um, and uh, I guess, I mean, even if you don't get, because uh, I always bring the case of, of business opportunities which are stealing your time or or focus, but it's really not about business. Everything around you is now stealing your time or money or focus or anything. Every every, every social media app, every type of app, entertainment, it's all about stealing your attention. And if you're not going to get attention from business opportunities, which you probably want to have, you're going to get attention stealers from entertainment companies, social media apps, and so on and so on. And how do you choose what you what you say no to if you don't know uh, what the what, what the plan is? Yeah, yeah. And, Even and like a plan, me, would... maybe just just like yeah. to know where you want to be aligned with. Like sometimes you don't know the plan; it's not a fixed plan. But what what is aligning with you in kind of the uh, you know aligning on the the journey that you're kind of going into, not necessarily reaching an outcome. Agree. Agree. And something is not even about the plan. Something is about the journey. You don't have to know what you want to do in five years. Just find out what you like doing. And uh, as long as you do it long enough and you're good at it, doesn't matter what that is. I think we live in a world that that allows you to be successful financially also uh, as long as you do what you're doing. Mm. I'm going to give you an example. Um, you could be an expert. It's something extremely boring some couple of years ago. Like, I don't know, you were a watchmaker, yeah? Or you watch fixer, which obviously is a dying job. But there were people who were doing this just because they loved it so much. They were probably uh, relatively unsuccessful financially. Maybe they didn't need it. But that's, that's not my point. My point is that you can do a very niche work right now. And even if it didn't give you any financial success opportunities, a couple of years from now, now with technology, you can you can just multiply it and take it to another level. Like whatever you're doing, you can now record yourself, right? And, yeah. and put it on YouTube, uh, for example. Um, I think we live in a world that allows you to be financially successful out of everything that you're doing, as long as you love it and you're good at it. Uh, I would argue that that this is doable right now. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Marek. This has been a, a really great uh, conversation for me and really insightful. And um, I really love to ask my guest speakers at the end of every podcast, how is this talking out loud and having this conversation with me made you reflect or highlight anything to you? Well, you gave me homework, right? Uh, <laughs> Answer the question, how my past affects my future. And I, and I love that topic. Um, I... Uh, I always enjoy conversations that go deeper than, you know, this top 20 questions that I've been hearing all the time, because when you promote a book, uh, 
you just see who has taken the time to 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 research be, uh, before asking the asking the questions and just like the best way to learn something is to teach someone else mm. um me trying to explain you what i'm doing and why actually is the process itself because yeah. every time i has to i have to answer that question i uh, i have to ask myself the question again over and over again and every time i give a slightly different answer because every time i am slight i have slightly grown and i know this even better uh so in a way even being asked the same questions as long as they are prepared properly and they are deep enough um is is is, is a value for me because it pushes me to understand that that answer even better so thank yeah. you for that no no you're welcome thank you so where can people find you uh Marek? yeah so as you as we know it's very hard to pronounce my last name <laughs> uh to put it into google or something so um I've, there's a website which is, has the same name as the book, chasingblackunicorns.com. And that book, that website is like a one-stop shop for everything that I'm doing. My personal activity, business, uh, foundation book, social media handles, everything is there. Email contacts. So chasingblackunicorns.com. Um, check it out if you want to find out uh, more about what I'm doing and maybe join one of my projects. So... You're welcome to. Uh, yeah. If anyone survived until now, then you might be interested. <laughs> <laughs> no, there'll be a lot of people who are interested in listening to this podcast. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> so yeah. uh, thank you so much uh, for joining me on this on this podcast, Marek. It was, it was a big pleasure. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank, uh, thank you. Uh, you're doing great jobs. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Uh, thank you for listening to Get to Know You. If you enjoyed this podcast, rate, review, and share the podcast on Facebook or Instagram. You can tag me at Get to Know You with Tiffany Farrag. In my mission to open conversations and access deeper dialogue, I want to hear from you listeners. The question again, how do your childhood events subconsciously influence your decisions as an adult? Leave an audio, video, or a message on the Facebook or Instagram page of your response to today's question, including your name and where you are from. We will include some different responses in next week's get to know you cafe to further deepen dialogue on this topic if you have any topics you would like us to discuss be sure to tag me in a post with your question join us every tuesday on get to know you